Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at CAMH.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. This episode is supported by HelloFresh, the meal kit service dedicated to making cooking fun, easy, and convenient. For 50% off of your first HelloFresh box, visit hellofresh.ca slash CanadaLand and enter promo code CanadaLand when you subscribe. Also, as soon as I'm done recording this, I am heading to the airport to begin the CanadaLand Guide to Canada Tour of Canada. I will be performing in Vancouver tonight, Thursday, May 11th. And that show is sold out, but I think they're releasing some rush tickets to the box office. The next night, I'm in Victoria on May 12th. After that, it's Calgary on the 13th, Saskatoon on the 14th, Edmonton on the 15th, and Winnipeg on the 16th. Other dates I'll tell you about later. I'll be signing books after each performance, and I'm looking forward to meeting a bunch of you. Come check it out. Sandy Garasino, columnist for the National Observer. Good morning. Good morning to you. Late night? A little bit, yeah. Just a little bit. Late night for all British Columbians, I guess. Did, did I see three victory speeches for, for the three parties that were running in your provincial election? I believe that might be, yeah, I think we topped it out at three. Hell of a democracy you got going over there. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. We're going to talk about the BC election. We're going to talk about Ezra Levant en français. And uh, we'll talk about the Toronto Star, just how racist is it? Good to have you back. Nice to be here, Jesse. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by John McKay, Aaron Romeo, Graham Schnarr, 
Steve Murray, Jason Vincent, Talon Johnstone, Laura Cuthbert, and Jeffrey Skelding. Jeffrey, why did you decide to be awesome? I used to listen to Jesse at the CBC, and I loved his perspective there, and discovering him on Canada land and his fresh perspective on the Canadian media landscape and what's going on in our world is super important to me. And Sandy, this episode is brought to everybody by a fairly new sponsor to us, HelloFresh, who are these uh, meal kit delivery people. Are you, a, are you a home cook? Do you cook much at home? I retired from cooking. I love the idea of meal delivery. It's meal delivery, but it's not prepared food. You still cook. I love this because I love to cook, but I love these types of companies that are kind of churning consumerism around. My, my big my big obstacle to cooking is I love cooking, but I hate shopping. I hate planning. I hate when I'm tired going to the supermarket at the busiest time. And I hate how supermarkets are designed to make your life worse. Like they make the most money by making you go up and down aisles and buying way more than you need. And if you need like five mushrooms for a recipe, you end up buying a whole bag and throwing things out and feeling guilty. So they've been sending me these boxes of food to cook at home and everything is portioned out properly. It's all locally sourced. I signed up for the family stuff. So it's like food that your kids like too. So there's like, we made cheeseburger pizza. They use like good ethically sourced local meat and it's actually kind of healthy and you cook with your kids and that whole annoying process just makes me not want to deal with, with cooking is removed and I'm just cooking with my kids and serving them food that's healthy. So for 50% off of your first box, visit hellofresh.ca slash CanadaLand and use the promo code CanadaLand when you subscribe. There is a reason why these services are blowing up. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away, but often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible, heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope.
British Columbians voted today to get big money out of politics. British Columbians voted today for proportional representation and a better way to make... Some things only happen in British Columbia. (laughs) And here tonight, we have an opportunity, we have been presented with an opportunity by British Columbians to open a whole new dialogue in our province, in our legislature. What a historic day for British Columbia today. You know, people across British Columbia have shown that they are ready for politics to be done differently in this province. Who's your premier going to, what's going on? What happened? I don't know. It's crazy. But it's actually, it's very BC. This was a very BC election. We had an election between a government that people didn't like and a contender that people were afraid to trust. And it went right down the middle. I'll leave the political analysis to our to Commons Our Politics show, and we'll try to focus on just like the political culture in the media. I was shocked after all the conversations you and I had about Christy Clark and the the hermit kingdom of, of British Columbia, the <laughs> Kim Jong-il style excesses of her administration, the donations, the corruption, the, the, uh, the conflicts of interest, and ruling for 16 years this province – and then I read the, the Globe and Mail say our endorsement is that British Columbians should hold their nose and vote for Christy Clark's BC Liberals. Yeah, well, what did they do in the last federal election? Same damn thing. Hold your nose. Yeah. Vote for the Conservatives. Wait, vote for Harper, but not the Conservatives. The Conservatives, but not Harper. I can't remember how you were supposed to do it, but uh, they're full of good advices. But a lot of people took it, I guess. I, I know the polls thought that Christy Clark was going was gonna to sweep to victory, and I guess this was an upset that... It was not so decisive, but I still don't understand living where I do and hearing this through yourself and other people who are incredibly critical. Who are these people who are voting for her? And like, what's what's the deal there? Big divide in the province. This is like so many of these elections are are turning out. This is urban rural. And yeah. and it's it really divides like almost entirely down the middle of the province. The westernmost part of the province and the urban part of the province went NDP, and the easternmost and more more rural areas went to the Liberals. And uh, that's, a, that's a huge part. And a lot of this had to do with what are the big issues. I mean, roughly half the province's population lives in the lower mainland of BC, and that's the urban area. And those people are absolutely beside themselves over housing affordability doesn't really affect the rest of the province. Not really an issue. Um, And the Green Party, big spoilers. I always feel like, you know, I guess it's a similar thing with Trump. I'm like, well, you know, my my cliched understanding of rural voters, like, how does that voter go for Christy Clark? Like, how is she not an urban elite? And how are the excesses of that government not exactly what they would despise? But maybe I'm making this too much about, like, I'm too involved in the personalities and they actually have, like, self-interested policy reasons to support the BC Liberals? Like, what am I missing? Well, yeah, that's exactly right. Because, remember, Christy Clark's is the jobs, jobs, jobs premier, and that part of the province that went liberal has been really suffering. They've had problems with employment in those areas and 
They are way more interested and dependent on resources, and she is a go, go, go on resources and pipelines and the whole nine yards. So that's what she represents to them. It isn't about urban elites. It isn't about corporate money and corruption in government contracts. It's about where are the dollars? Where am I going to get food to put on the table? And am I prepared to make a leap into an unknown? When this is the brand of Christy Clark, it's all about jobs. The Vancouver Sun also endorsed the BC Liberals, didn't even mention the campaign donation issue. It's like seems kind of unanimous media support. You know, there's just an amazing culture here that has been, it's almost embedded into it, this expectation that this is just part of doing business. This is just how things go. For the first time this election, there were people like Gary Mason in the Globe and Mail who were hammering on this issue, hammering about the donations. And remember, the BC Liberals had, uh, they had donations in 2016 of about $13 million compared to half that for the NDP. And about half of their donations came from corporations, whereas the NDP got 12% of theirs from unions. So this whole issue is really big. But look, Christy Clark did not get that ringing endorsement that I think that she thought that she would. And the polls did say it was very, very tight going in. I know Insights West had them tied at 41% each. And uh, the Liberals got 41% and the NDP got 40%. So that was pretty close. The big spoiler here was, again, the Greens who came in at almost 17%. And right now, Jesse, the liberal Liberals could have a majority government if they can swing one seat, which has a split right now of nine votes. So if five votes go the other way in this uh. one riding, this could this could hand the Liberals their majority. And in that riding, five thousand people voted for the Greens. Wow. Uh, so by the time people are hearing this, we're recording Wednesday. Uh, people are going to hear this on Thursday. Th- those nine votes, one way or the other, could could be decisive. If not, then it's the Greens who get to decide who the next premier is. How could they possibly work with Christy Clark's? Like, they're the Green Party. They've got a lot more ideologically and, and, and policy-wise in common with the NDP, plus the majority of voters voted to change governments. Wouldn't it just seem like the most cynical, opportunistic, whatever deal Clark offers the Greens, like... They can't go her way, can they? The enmity between the NDP and the Greens is just like, is very, very intense. And it's almost as if it's like the siblings, because one would think that these supporters, this base would be very anti-liberal. But a lot of times the Green base is quite middle class, quite educated, quite middle of the road. Ideologically, apart from the environmental issue, they probably do tend to go a little bit closer to the liberals. But it's really interesting because major environmentalists, major environmentalists like Paul Watson and Sapporo Berman came out strongly and said, please vote for the NDP because they are the party that are going to, I guess, stop stop the pipelines and that they saw as being much more environmentally friendly relative to the Greens, who are, if they support the BC Liberals, there are your pipelines. 
there are your other issues, which have been huge issues. I mean, Christy Clark, the Greens have been her best friend in this election and, and appear to be the party that are going to keep her in power as a minority leader. All right. So in, in, in British Columbia, the BC Liberals are conservative. The Greens are, environmentalism aside, also conservative. And the, the NDP are, are uh, what exactly? Uh, the NDP are the non-liberal party. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they, they ran on basically get, throw the bums out. Uh-huh. No, I don't. I don't think that they really established, and this is a huge issue. I think for the NDP that even with a very unpopular, and I would say this, I do believe that Christy Clark has has is is not a popular leader. There's very much a feeling that it's time for a change. In spite of this, the NDP was really not able to drive home a message that branded them as being an alternative an alternative government as far as what they are going to do, what their position is. We will see how this all plays out. The NDP cannot form a government unless the Greens go over to them. This will be very interesting for Andrew Reaver and a real test, a very serious test possibly for the first time of what does the Green Party stand for in government. Interestingly, in the Vancouver context, the Green Party candidate that was the decider on the on the school board, on Vancouver school board, lined up with the more conservative party against the more liberal vision. If that wasn't convoluted enough, let's discuss how rebel media... In collaboration with their Pizzagate correspondent in Washington, attempted to launch a misinformation campaign or assess, rather, aid a disinformation, misinformation leak hack campaign to destabilize and sway the French election. Or, to put this in question form, Sandy, why was the rebel tweeting in French? (laughs) <laughs> I do not know why the rebel was tweeting in French. You could ask Ezra Levant why he replied to my emails asking for an interview in Russian. <laughs> it's the same damn thing. <laughs> yeah, he's a Renaissance man, I guess. He's a Renaissance man who doesn't know his own phone number. The phone number he gave me to call him was uh, the Russian embassy. And this was this was the uh, much hilarity ensued on Twitter from the Ezra Levant tribe over that. He was pranking you and trolling you, and, and we're, we're laughing now, but uh, I'm kind of curious to hear. How do we even begin to kind of try to summarize, like, what the, what the heck this was about for people who are just coming to this? Okay, well, I mean, I think that the really important thing here is... The French election, it does appear cyber intelligence analysts have looked closely at the hacking of the Macron data, uh, some of which, by the way, was demonstrated to be false by France TV. So it's not all out there as legit data. But it appears that the Russians were hacking that data and then dumped it onto the internet. From there, it went into, on the very eve of the election, there was this massive data dump. From there, it was blown through social media. And again, cyber intelligence experts 
went back and said, okay, well, who is it that introduced this link with this data that was hosted on this 4chan website? Not WikiLeaks, as people think, but 4chan. Who took it from 4chan and blasted it all over social media and Twitter and into France on the very eve of the election? And they went back and they identified one person. And that person is a guy by the name of Jack Posobiec, who is the Washington quote-unquote bureau chief of rebel media, Canada's rebel media. So then the question is, well, was this planned and deliberate? How did this all happen? The other thing that cyber intelligence experts have identified is that in their opinion, bots were employed from the very first minute that Posobiec's tweet went out. So they saw evidence of bot activity driving that through the internet, where it just it 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 just blasted. There were forty seven thousand tweets with Posobiec's hashtag within the first hours after that went out there. WikiLeaks was retweeting it within forty minutes, and it just went it just exploded from that point. So experts are tying this to the rebel media's correspondent, who, as it turns out has something of a history with some people who are, shall we say, agents provocateurs, who, are, who, who have a big problem with truth on the internet. Okay, and I'll, I'll provide a little bit of my understanding of it, and you can correct me where I get things wrong. And, you know, I guess the first thing is, if people haven't heard, and I think most people did, right before the media blackout, right before the election, uh, where Le Pen lost, we saw a very like a now familiar thing happen where suddenly there's this data dump that uh, completely changes some people's perceptions of things and introduces this air of scandal that there's, there's, there's something that's going to happen that's going to smear, like at a time when the media can't even do anything and the parties can't even say much about it, suddenly this, this hashtag Macron leaks mm-hmm. goes, That's right. goes nuts. And as you wrote, the hashtag, not the leak, the leak came from 4chan, but the hashtag was this Jack Pobasek? Is that how you... Uh... Pasobic. Pasobic. Well, okay. he, tweeted, he tweeted the link with the hashtag. Okay, so the question is, is he just, uh, and, and the sort of like, who me kind of response that you get, what, what, what big conspiracy theory are you trying to conjure up, Sandy? He just uh, he was doing a reporter's work. He was just essentially linking to newsworthy information. Somebody else hacked, somebody else leaked. He just threw up a link and introduced the most obvious hashtag. What your article suggests, I think with some substantiation, is that there's reason to believe that he was actually part of a coordinated campaign to misinform people and to push this this hashtag, this meme, this doubt. You know, when you're dealing with trolls, on the one hand, you have, I guess, Ezra joking when you ask him for comment, oh, obviously I'm in concert with the Russians. Let me give you, you know, here's my phone number and you get the Russian embassy. And his joke is that you're, I think that the underlying suggested joke is like, Calm down, lady. I'm not working with Russian operatives. Meanwhile, Jack Posobiec on his on his own Twitter account is is bragging that he runs the internet and he's retweeting pictures that show his incredible influence. And he also was involved in propagating erroneous misinformation about the whole Pizzagate thing. And you wrote about these data experts who look at 
the timing of this, how quickly he had the link, and then how quickly bots picked it up and automated the spreading of that misinformation. And I think, I don't know that you proved it, but I think that what you suggested is is that there's now a formula, and the formula relies on either useful idiots or partners, and it looks like the rebel media was that useful idiot or active partner. Yeah. What I point to is that, okay, we got Pizzagate. So for people who don't know, Pizzagate... As you should well know, Hillary Clinton's uh, campaign chief ran a child pedophile. No, we ring can't. Out. It's too much explaining. It's too much. We, too much. Everyone, too much. Okay, we can't do it. We, people, if you if you don't know what PizzaGate is, look at it because that's another half hour. So PizzaGate was some bullshit. Let's just leave it there for now. PizzaGate was some bullshit, but Pasobic and his associate Mike Chernovich have twice before been involved with being early tweeters and early in- involvement tied tied to these disinformation things. So maybe it's a coincidence. Maybe they're just guys who are, you know, kind of like the Kennedy conspiracy guys. They just go on the internet and they say what they think. And then mysteriously bots turn up and send send their messages everywhere. Cernovich is a guy who's worth reading up on. There's a profile of him. He's a, uh, a creep. There was a tweet where he said uh, some time ago, some weeks ago, oh, I just met with Ezra Levant and totally impressed by this guy. There is a network of people who are kind of trading notes and it's a it's a circuit of, of tactics and campaigns. And, you know, the rebel is modeled after Breitbart, but there's also some Infowars in there. There is this kind of growing like bunch of tactics and tools. And I think that what the rebel is morphing into and its ambitions to be a global player is is worth looking at as closely as possible. We reported on the rebel connection. You brought some new information to this. And, uh, you know, I think it's worth just like keeping as close an eye on this stuff. It gets dismissed, you know, by Ezra himself. It's like, oh, this is silly. I think that that's sort of, that plays into it as well. That, that's sort of a, a, a useful, a useful shield against scrutiny. Well, exactly. You know, downplaying all of this is the opposite of what everybody should be doing. We have just seen democracy under attack by Russian hackers in two elections. And there is concern that Russians were involved with the Brexit vote. Clearly, Russia is looking to destabilize the West, to destabilize the EU. And anything that anybody is doing that may help and aid in that effort should attract a lot of scrutiny. Is it just reporting? Is it just speculating? Or should we be a lot more concerned about what are the links? You know what? The, the final thing I want to point out here, and this is not something that people read about in the Canadian media outside of Canada Land or the National Observer, is that, you know, a lot of people like to say that, oh, don't feed Ezra Levant. You're talking about him too much. That, that just makes him stronger. And a lot of people in the media don't write about him for that reason. Uh, I, there's an element of truth to that, but I think that there's also a huge element of fear. His tactics are nasty. He, he, he slings mud. He fights dirty. And reporters don't want to get targeted. What I noticed when he was trolling you, you were doing your job as a journalist. You gave him... Uh, opportunity to comment. And he not only pranked you, but then published your correspondence without redacting your phone number. And of course, he has this whole troll army. And I think that journalists take note of things like that. And I believe that this is another conscious tactic. It is a a way of giving reporters reasons to just ignore him. And uh, I'm glad that you didn't. And next time I ask him for comment, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll assume anything I send him is getting published. Uh, and, you know, he, he can email me back if he wants to. 
I just think that people need to take this a lot more seriously. People didn't take Breitbart seriously either. And look where it is today. And just last night, Jack Posobiec of Rebel Media's fiance, there was a photograph of her standing next to Rudy Giuliani, who some people are speculating will be the next director of the FBI. And and a photograph of Jack Posobiec's wife standing next to Giuliani was tweeted out last night. And yesterday, Posobiec and his fiance rather, were in the White House briefing room. I think the time for saying this is not a big deal, just be quiet and nothing will happen is over. I think it's very, very vital that all Canadian media wake up, stand up, and take a serious look at this. And by the way, if we're in journalism, we've got to develop a serious hide and not be the kind of people who are intimidated because Ezra Levant tweets some joke about you on the internet. Well, fuck yeah. Let's talk uh, duly noted. I know that you were up late with the election, and uh, I just have one quick thing that I want to point out. Postmedia ran two, like, super racist cartoons of Harjit Sajjan. Like, super racist. They apologized for one of them, I think. The Toronto Sun had this one where his mustache is growing like Pinocchio from all of his lies, I suppose. And and then there's this one in the Calgary Sun, which is the one that they apologized for, where he's being boiled alive, which harkens back to torture of Sikhs for, as apostates. And, you know, I, I am a, a big fan of, of, of cartooning and caricature and the history of the political cartoon. I appreciate on some level that like caricaturing somebody who's like, you're like, well, you got to like exaggerate physical characteristics and to the very white Canadian media. But we dealt with this with the with the Jan Wong cartoons in the French press years ago, like come the fuck on. No editor should be signing off on these disgusting racial caricatures at this point in time. And like, unless that's what they're trying to do. If they're just like going to take the position of like, we are the racist press. I don't think that that is what uh, Adrian Batra, the Toronto Sun was trying to do, but like we've got to smarten up with this stuff. That was pretty grotesque. And I don't, you know, the whole thing is just really odd to me. You know, I just really have to ask the question, if Harjit Sajjan was like some tubby white conservative minister of defense and exaggerated his role in the planning, which, by the way, his deep role in the planning has been well corroborated by a British colonel who has come out to speak in favor of him. And if if he was a tubby old white combat veteran who kind of stretched the truth a little bit, how much would anybody even notice that? And now we're having a whole big thing. Like, I just feel like there's, I think that those cartoons actually really pointed to a very big issue about why this is such a big story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we'll, we'll hit on that a little bit more when we talk about Desmond Cole in a minute. Duly noted. Sandy, our second sponsor today is Amnesty International's Book Club. This is really a cool idea. I think that the people at Amnesty International understand that like, you can hear so much about something horrible happening in the world, but it's stories and it's art and literature that makes you want to do something about it, you know? And we all knew what was happening in Syria, but it was that awful photograph of Alain Kurdi that made people actually get off their asses and help. And so what this book club is, it's an engagement tool. A lot of people have book clubs anyhow. This is a free service where they suggest a book to you and they provide discussion materials and questions and things to talk about. And they're all really good, interesting books. But once you're done thinking about the book and talking about the book, they suggest an action that you can take 
if you actually are motivated to do something. And so, for example, I spoke to Rosemary Oliver of Amnesty International. I asked her, what did she suggest to readers of A Handmaid's Tale? That was one of their books recently. If you finish reading The Handmaid's Tale with your book club or on your own, because you can do this online, and you feel like you might actually want to do something about women's rights and women's well-being in the world, I asked her what action they suggested people take. And this is what she said. Our discussion guide talked about the situation of women fighting back in countries like Saudi Arabia, Colombia, El Salvador, where their rights are really restricted in many ways. And the action was to free Iranian human rights activist Bahariya Hedayat, who was imprisoned for her work on women's equality work in Iran. People, have a look at this. Check it out. Go to amnestybookclub.ca. It's worth your time. We, we didn't get a chance last week. It broke just after the show was taped. You know, it's an interesting one because I feel like there's not a ton of controversy. Everybody except for Christy Blatchford seems to see through the star's rationale when they say we don't have activists and journalists at the same time. And I think Kathy English, the public editor, came out and said, well, yes, after a lot of people pointed out that, well, you had many activist journalists, columnists in the past. You had Naomi Klein, for God's sakes. Uh, she said, well, you know, Desmond went too far. He took it to the next level. Am I wrong in feeling like that was like almost universally rejected as as a bullshit excuse that is just simply not true? Well, it's very hard for me to see that that at least there should have been a lot more self-examination about this. I mean, we're talking about racial politics here and how many black or minority columnists are there in the media? I mean, this is the media is almost like a, the last bastion of white dominance. This is such a tough one for me. And I, the, one of the things that I do think is worth commenting on, though, is look at rebel media and what they are doing where they're out organizing rallies and organizing activities. And this is what they'll do. This is what the right is going to do is they're going to say, well, look, you guys are doing it too. So we're just going along with it. But at the end of the day, you got to look at these circumstances and look at what's happening in Toronto and look at the racial politics that are happening in our country. And, and if there's doubt, the benefit of the doubt has got to go to coal on this one, I think. I don't see that there's any room for ambiguity. Marty Patrickin was writing about this in iPolitics. He writes, I was an intern at the Star many moons ago, and among my less appreciated assignments was covering a soiree celebrating Michelle Landsberg's activism while she was still writing for the paper. The reason for me being there was simple. Landsberg was a force in feminist thought, and the star rightfully wanted some of her limelight to reflect onto her employer. Same with Naomi Klein, who, like Landsberg, could both write and generate headlines. But not Cole, which is weird. It's not weird. It's just racist, right? Any excuse they have, well, they didn't make themselves the headline. Yes, they did. Well, they didn't do direct action, uh, you know, aggressive. Yes, they did. They absolutely did. The difference here is that he's black and he's a black activist. I, I think that's supported by he finally came out with this uh, anecdote, Desmond Cole, in his statement that John Hondrick, the chair of Torsar Corporation, took him aside while he was still writing for them and said, you're writing too much about race. <laughs> Oh, my God. But it's the lack of consciousness. I mean, this is what racism is. You know, and I'm sure it horrifies the people at the Toronto Star to be accused of racism. But it is that unconscious bias that totally does not even see what's right there in front of them, like 
the cartoon caricatures of Harjit Sajjan. It's, I mean, it's right there. Yeah. It's the lack of consciousness. It's not the deliberate discrimination. It's the total lack of awareness that this is right there. From the biggest progressive paper in the country, you know, fr- from the paper that has the Atkinson principles, I know that it, that it stings so much and that because no one there like wants us to wear that, but we have to call it what it is. What annoys me at this point is that everyone understands that it is because Desmond Cole is a black activist that he, he had the rule book uh, handed to him. I don't want to hear this bullshit that they, that, they, that they they didn't fire him or they didn't give him an ultimatum. This very Canadian thing where they say, oh, by the way, here are our rules. Like, how do you hire Desmond Cole? Exactly. And not have a conversation about like, okay, we understand you're an activist. Here's where the line is for us. It is is total hypocrisy so that they have some plausible deniability that this was his action and not theirs. They were absolutely saying, here are the rules. You can follow them or you can leave. He's an opinion writer. He's giving a perspective and they are a progressive outlet. It bothers me. It's not like we don't come to the conclusion. It's not like we don't see through it, but it almost feels like like this news story has run its course and everyone's just moved on. And yes, it's very good that CBC and Globe and Mail were right there to take Desmond Cole and give him uh, offer offer him a platform. And and it's you know beyond anything else, the Star, which is just in absolute freefall right now and just released some devastating financials, the idiocy mm-hmm. of parting company with Desmond Cole like this. Do you want new readers? Do you want relevance? I mean, they do this again and again where they where they they're smart enough to like hire him, but they don't do anything with him. You got to sit down with the columns and say, what do you want to accomplish this year? What are you going to crusade for? When do you want a billboard? What are we going to do uh, work together to make this platform work for you and for us? No, they just gave him the column. They went from weekly to, to once every two weeks. They didn't support it. It did crazy traffic for them. And then this is how it ends. So this is absolutely a win for Desmond Cole and, and a loss for the star. But I, I just feel like we too often move on from these episodes without just saying like, remember that time when the star was totally anti anti-black racist, super totally racist. But what's really important here, to peel all of this away, and what's really important is that this is a vitally important voice that Canada needs to hear. We must have this. If we have Indigenous women who are going to be activists and writing about missing and murdered Indigenous women. You can't tell them you're writing too much about Indigenous women. You, you know, th- this is absurd. This is critical. This is vital journalism, period. It's embarrassing. Will you just please not be so black? Just please, no, be so black. Try to stop Desmond Cole from having a voice. I, I, <laughs> I, I wish you luck. Sandy Garcino, thank you very much as always. Thank you, Jesse. Great to hear from you. That was your Canadaland Shortcuts. I hope you liked it. You can email me anytime. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com and we are on Twitter at Canadaland. Sandy, where can people find you? They can find me on Twitter at Garosino and read me in the National Observer. As well, you should. Our website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. This show is produced by Russell Gregg. Omar Mualam will be back with his next episode of Canada Land on Monday. Check it out. He is doing an incredible job. And if you like what we do, please support us. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. 
This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.